3: Welcome to the Back From Vacation show. I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm out of the flow of doing the radio program, but I have missed you and I hope you have missed me. This is Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. I'm a little tanner, a little more rested and feeling pretty good. And it's a delight to be back here on the radio show. This is, as you know, a show dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions. Whatever's on your heart or mind we will do the best that we can to answer them. And you can ask those questions by calling 210-340-9585. That's 340-9585. If you're outside the local area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can send them in via our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. You know, hit one button. Call now at the top of the screen, and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Again, welcome to the Monday show. For me, it's getting my feet wet again, uh, doing the radio program. And I know I told you this already. I missed being here and being available for show. I want to thank Pastor Ken and May for filling in for me and Paula. And uh, last week, of course, we did some repeat broadcast shows, and uh, I hope that you were blessed one programming note we are not going to be live on Wednesday this week it is the 4th of July and we assume everybody else has plans the radio station is going to be closed so we will have a rebroadcast uh, on Wednesday other than that we will be here Lord willing Paula will be with me on Wednesday or Thursday for the date day edition program and she's anxious to get back uh, and talk to you again as well Uh, Tonight, ladies, we have our Sweet Summer Devotion Series continuing. Uh, Shailene Ayala will be sharing tonight. I told the church yesterday that Shailene is one of those trophies for Jesus. She was just a a broken young woman when she came here uh, a lot of years ago. And to see how she has just prospered, blossomed, In the will of God for her life has just been an amazing thing. Uh, I have no idea what she's going to talk about, but her story is one worth listening to. That's tonight at 7 o'clock. We also have our men's Bible study. Brian Jones will be teaching that tonight. Uh, Also, high school age and junior high school age kids will have their own Bible study, so you can bring the whole family. Child care is provided for any kids younger than junior high school. All of that starts at 7 o'clock. Uh, ladies, your portion will be uh, live streamed at calvarysa.com. Vacations are wonderful things. Paul and I told the church yesterday, Paul and I slept like we haven't slept, I don't know, 15, 20 years. We got eight to nine hours of sleep every night. Sometimes if we didn't want to get out of bed when we thought we did, we just didn't. We didn't worry about it. But it was a great vacation. There was plenty of sun. The weather was spectacular. Uh, for the entire almost two weeks that we were there it's always a kind of a funny thing when you miss what you do i miss being here at the church i miss being with the people but at the same time um hanging out with paula in california at the beach is a pretty pretty wonderful thing to do so we got to do that we saw our kids and our grandkids Uh, i think paula mentioned that we were going to have church on the beach that's kind of a new tradition that we developed for the last few years um I think we had over 70 people show up at church on the beach and a bunch of them recommitted their lives to the Lord. So that's a good thing as well. So uh, it was just really a good time. For those of you that we asked to pray, thank you very, very much. Your prayers were heard. Well, let me get to questions. We'd love your live calls and questions, but let me get to some of the questions that have been sent in while I was gone. I feel like it's time for me to get back to work. Here's a question from our mobile app, uh, sent in anonymously. The question says, Hebrews 6.18 says, So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement hold fast to the hope set before us. And then the question is, What two unchangeable things is the writer speaking about? Uh, In the context of this question, here's what we've really got to understand when we're reading, uh, especially the book of Hebrews, because it can be difficult. We go back a couple verses. It says, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Um, Genesis 12 was where Abraham was 75 years old, and the promise that he would have descendants more numerous than the scars in the sky was made to him. But we also know that he had to wait 25 years to receive the promise. 25 years is a long time. We have a hard time waiting for 25 minutes. But Abraham waited and waited. And finally, because God is faithful, he received the promise. In spite of the fact that it appeared to be impossible. Impossible. And so, continue, men swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, and he confirmed it with an oath. The two unchangeable things, Anonymous, are first his word, his promise to God in Genesis chapter 12 when it seemed impossible to keep that promise. The second was that the oath that he swore. So those are the two unchangeable things. Now, because Abraham had God's word, now this is a very important thing for us to apply. When we have God's word, we need to know that he is going to be faithful to fulfill that word. Um, He promised Paula that if she waited for me, if she trusted him, that he would work out these things when her life was miserable caused by my sin. She received the promise. It took her 13 years. And when it says in verse 18 that it is impossible for God to lie, literally, and we have the same thing in the book of Colossians. This is a not lying God. Jesus said, heaven and earth may pass away, but his word never will. So his word is going to come to promise. And we're going to have every promise God made fulfilled. Now, not the things that we invent ourselves. And sometimes the the answers to those promises are delayed by our disobedience or our sin or even our unbelief. But every promise that God makes is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So Anonymous, that's what he means here. It's his word and his oath. Because Abraham didn't have his word the way you and I have God's word. That's why he swore by himself. I always giggle a little bit when I think of that. Because he could swear by nothing greater, he swore by himself. It's sort of like Jesus saying, I swear to me. And that's what he did. So that's exactly what he's talking about, his word and his oath. I hope that makes sense, answers your question. Here is... Another question from our email inbox this time from Will. He says In the ESV, Jeremiah thirty three, seventeen says, For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, and the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings, to burn grain offerings, and to make sacrifices forever. Now here's the question, but it looks like since there's no castle or temple in Jerusalem, that his vow has not been honored. He said forever. The passage goes on to say, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night, so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken. The whole point of all of that is the promise that he made to David is a a promise that is going to be fulfilled. He says, obviously the day and the night still come, but where is the king on the throne and the Levitical priest sacrifices this is a complicated question but it's also a great one because it has been fulfilled now when it says in verse 14 of jeremiah 33 the days are coming declares the lord when i will fulfill the gracious promise i made to the house of israel and to the house of judah in those days the days when it's fulfilled i will make a righteous branch sprout from david's line he will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our Righteousness. Now, Jeremiah, in making this prophetic statement, had already learned that the king is going to bear this name, the Lord our Righteousness. This was new. But now, here, he learns that the city is one day going to be called by the same name. In those days, Jerusalem truly will, is going to be The holy city. It's not now, we call it the holy city, but it is decidedly an unholy city now. And then he makes the promise, for David will never fail to have a man sit on the throne of the house of Israel. Now here's why you're confused. We look at Israel now, we see no temple, we see no sacrifices, Jews are not uh, worshiping God at the temple now. But you see, all you have to do is look at the letter to the Hebrews, and we find out that Jesus was the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is a descendant of David and Jesus sits on a throne even now it's just that that throne is in heaven at the right hand of God the Father so Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise he's superior to the angels he's superior to Moses uh, uh, Israel's hero Uh, and, and this descendant from David is sitting on the throne that belongs to David now he's renting it out at this particular moment But the sacrifices that are no longer being made are no longer being made because the, and I use that with a definite article since the sacrifice has already been made. Now think about that. The sacrifice once for all delivered to the saints. That's what Jude says. The word, contend earnestly with the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. So Jews, just like you, Will, and just like me, Jews still have the opportunity to take this descendant of David and and make the sacrifice. We're not talking about animal sacrifices. But according to the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12, we're talking about a living sacrifice. I I love the intentional picture here because the picture is that the sacrifices that were made to cover over sins from moment to moment or or the, the, the Day of Atonement from year to year in the Old Testament, those sacrifices, dead animals the blood of bulls and goats can't take away our sin but Jesus did because he can and so the sacrifice for Jews is the same sacrifice that you and I have the difference between us is that Jesus fulfilled all the promises made that those sacrifices pointed to not the Passover lamb but the living lamb of God who was murdered and didn't stay dead And thus, we who believe and are born again. We now can be a living sacrifice. Jesus doesn't ask us to crawl up on the altar and die physically. He calls us to crawl on that altar every day and die spiritually so that we can then live for him in his power. So the promise didn't fail. In fact, the promise was fulfilled. Now we all know that later a time is coming when David's descendant, Jesus, is going to sit on the throne uh, in the millennium for 1,000 years. But until that happens, that sacrifice, that position on that throne of David, the one rightfully belonging to God, that throne is even now being filled. One more thing, well, the great news about this for all of us is that he's about to get up with all of my heart. I believe that he's about to get up. He's going to return and establish his kingdom here on earth. How much longer could he wait? You know, one of the things I mentioned in church yesterday as we got back from vacation is that California is an absolute crazy place. There are times I think Texas is crazy. But, but California makes Texas look sane. They were advertising marijuana for sale not just for sale recreationally or medicinally but on sale why because the laws have changed and all of the 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 inventory marijuana that now people are free to buy and believe me everywhere we went people were smoking out in the open a drug that destroys minds and the news channels were promoting a sale on this marijuana because all of the inventory is going to have to be destroyed by July 1st, yesterday, because of the new laws. So they're selling marijuana cheaper than ever before. It was like the news media was a shill for the marijuana sales. You just think about how insane that was. Everywhere we went in California, we saw overt public displays of affection between same-sex couples. We saw men who were overtly dressed like women and women who are overtly dressed like men over and over and over and all i could do is just sort of shake my head and think oh god what's happening in this world come quickly lord jesus and then for just a moment i thought well well, lord if you come right now these people are going to be lost we were able to, to, to sort of sit and think for a minute and pray for one last revival. Lord, let it begin now, and let it, that revival begin with the, 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 the least of these, those who are really, truly hurting. Not just those who are truly hurting, but those who've turned their back at you. And Romans 1 kept coming to my heart and my mind. God gave them over in their sinful lusts. God gave them over who did he give them over to to themselves their hearts became so hard their hearts became so so difficult that now we're no longer hiding our sin again we get a lot of questions on this radio program uh, about marijuana Well, now that it's legal is it okay for cre- no it's never okay Marijuana destroys brain cells. Marijuana puts you in a, in a in a place where you it's impossible to be sober. And we're not to be under the control or the power of anything else, yet we still are looking for a way to rationalize sinning, doing what we want to do instead of doing what God tells us to do. And the more we do it, the harder our hearts get. So we'll... The promises are always fulfilled. Jesus is sitting at that throne right now, a throne in heaven waiting to return. Our prayer as Christians should be that there will be one last great move of God's Spirit. If that will happen, then we should be pleased. for your live calls and questions. Here is our next question from our email inbox from Rich. In Matthew chapter 17, verses 14 through 21, Jesus speaks of having faith as a mustard seed and being able to say to a mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. What exactly is he referring to? I know it comes within the context of the disciples not being able to heal a boy who was stricken with seizures. This was the demon-possessed boy, Rich. Um, You know, this is one of the problems with prosperity. Churches, they use um, verses like this. You know, if you have faith as tiny as a mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, Be thou removed and cast into the sea. Jesus isn't in the business, nor is he concerned about moving mountains into oceans, unless it's in Hawaii, and that's what's happening there with the volcanoes. But that's not what he's talking about at all. What he's talking about is those impossible problems. Now, the context is the disciples not being able to heal this child. Now, they had been sent out two by two before, you remember. This is just when Jesus comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John, and he finds his disciples arguing with the the Jewish exorcists because neither group could cast the demon out. And what Jesus was saying to the disciples is, look, you, you can't rely on power I gave you before. Yes, you went out before with the authority and the power that I gave you, and you cast out demons. And I even told you, don't rejoice because the demons submit to you, but instead rejoice that your name has been written in the book of life, perspective there. So what he's saying is, look, you you, you see this demon, this was a tough one and you need to fast, and you need to pray. This is, this is a demon that requires fresh power, not, not the power that comes from a previous experience. And yet they tried, and they tried, and it seemed impossible for them to do it. So when he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, move it. He's using hyperbole, but more than that, he's doing something spectacular from Zechariah chapter 4. Jesus' ministry, as I say often on the show, is entirely Jewish in its context. And in chapter 4 of that prophecy, Jesus is telling his people exactly how they can move mountains, not real mountains, but figurative mountains. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Zechariah 4 4 says the Lord. Now, symbolically, prophetically, mountains represent in the Old Testament impossible problems. Remember that when Nehemiah was taken back to Israel and uh, um, given the, the, the responsibility of rebuilding the walls of defenses, it looked impossible. And yet he said that the city this these walls and the city within will be rebuilt. So it looks like a mountain of rubbish, of rubble. But believe and work in the power of God's spirit, and that's exactly what happened. So, Rich, Jesus is giving a message to the Jews that he's speaking to of remember, this is what Jeremiah said, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. In your name and for your glory. You know, one of the things that I tried to communicate yesterday on our the message, I, I never I, I, I give a message that God puts in my heart while I'm on vacation when we come back. We'll, we'll be going back into the gospel of Luke, which is our regular study on Sunday mornings. But yesterday on Communion Sunday, one of the things that I wanted to communicate was God doesn't require us to do anything. I think so often we try to think, well, what do I have to do? Or, or how can I do things better so that I can have these problems removed? Or how, uh, how can I be more effective in my service? for? We don't have to do anything. All we have to do is be with Jesus. That's all we have to do. And if we're with Jesus, that's the most important thing I'm going to say on this radio program all month. All we have to do is be with him in His will, doing what He told us to do. And as impossible as your circumstance may seem, you're going to get the answers to your prayers. Now remember, David writes, "If you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. That doesn't mean that we're going to get the new car, it doesn't mean we're going to get the new new spouse, it doesn't mean we're going to get the promotion or the job. What it means is that if we delight ourselves in Jesus, we will also delight in the same desires that he has in his heart. He will literally transplant the desires from his heart into your heart, and we'll be delighting together with Jesus. All we have to do is believe that. We'll stop asking for the things that we think we can't live without. And instead, what we'll be doing is praying directly from the heart of God. And then what we can do is walk in the power of God's Spirit every single minute of every single day. As hard as that is for some Christians to believe, that's the will of God that's been chosen for us. I call it being under the spout where the glory every day comes out. With Jesus, when you're with Him, You're going to be blessed by the things that he allows you to do. Part of my message yesterday, a large part of my message yesterday, was me apologizing to our church, Calvary Chapel. Not because I'd lost faith in God or because I wasn't trusting God, but because my focus became more on my mountain. You know, what we do here, and I'm not going to go into the long version here, We've got just a couple of minutes left in this half hour of the program. But we almost always seem to be overwhelmed by financial crisis. When I say almost always, maybe there's been a week or two over our 23 years here where we, we were sitting pretty good for a minute. But the rest of the time, it's wondering how we're going to survive. And it's become so difficult, so onerous, that there was times when all I could see was those problems I never stopped believing but, but I stopped focusing on Jesus I stopped raising my eyes above the problems or the difficulties and when you stop looking at Jesus when all you can see is the problems in your life ours ours are financial problems yours can be anything those problems become immovable mountains remember not by might nor by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. We've got 30 minutes left. we love your live phone calls. 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR. It's good to be back. We'll be back on the other side of the break. See you in two minutes.
1: the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh
3: welcome back to the program 340 <laughs> is that right See, I'm crazy. 340-9585. C- yeah, right, right. Please bear with me. I've been away for two weeks. That's the phone number for your live calls and questions. Let me get right back to the questions that have been sent in. Here is a question from Caleb from our email inbox. I knew I was going to get this question. What should our response be as Christians to the immigration issues we face as a nation? What is the balance between the laws we have as a nation and showing com- compassion? Caleb, I'm going to try to simplify this issue for us. If we understand what I'm trying to communicate here, then we, we understand there's no tension at all between our response as Christians and, and the national response. First and foremost, nobody in this listening audience, this pastor, nobody else, has any power to do anything about our immigration laws. I will say they are woefully inadequate. The system is broken. Um, Not just the crisis that we're going through with families being separated that's dominating the news, but just the idea that it takes so long for the process to play out. The the fact that people who are here trying to work and make a living, trying to have a better life, there ought to be a, a process by which they can do it that doesn't take forever. There ought to be a process by which they could bring family members and resettle in this country's Americans. None of that is happening. But you see, again, I'm going to simplify it by saying that there's nothing we can do to change that. So as Christians, we don't have to face the immigration issue nationally. What we have to do is be compassionate and loving to everybody that God brings along our path. Now, here's our problem. We watch Fox News as Christians. We, we, we listen to this onslaught of, of, of information that comes over the other uh, outlets of, of the media. We get angry, we get online, and we share our opinions with everything. We don't have to have an opinion. All we have to do is individually look at people the way Jesus would have us look at them. How would he have us look at them? With mercy, with compassion, with love, and caring about whether or not they belong to Jesus. What can I do? What can you do, Caleb, about families being separated? We can vote, and whoever we vote for it's going to do whatever their party's platform tells them to do. It's the reason there's been no change, no effective change in the immigration laws in this country, literally in my lifetime. And now as things in the world worsen, and people all over the globe are, are trying to flee from danger and homelands, not just in the United States, but all over the world, well, what are we gonna do with them? Where are they gonna go? We don't have to settle that question. We have no power to settle that question. So our response should always be opening our arms and our hearts, our churches, in some cases our homes, to whoever shows up. You know, as a pastor of a church, you, 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 everybody wants their church to grow. Everybody wants their church to, to, to reach as many people, touch as many people as possible believe me, after praying for the Lord to send the lost, the hurting, the broken, the needy, the hungry, the confused, I'm not going to say no to them. I'm not going to check their papers when they get here. When people walk in the door at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, I trust Caleb at your church, they're going to be loved on. They're going to be told about Jesus. They're going to see Jesus in action. That's the only response that Christians can have real Christians have to care for a Christian who is conservative now I'm a very conservative man but for me to take the side of a party instead of taking Jesus side would be a sin should families be separated of course not but maybe we could easily say those families shouldn't have tried to come here you see that's the tension it's on their side not ours we're the answer for that tension when people are brought before us we can't fix problems all we can do is make sure that we are available to help fix broken hearts the Bible says a lot in the Old Testament Jesus adds more light to it in the New about caring for those who can't care for themselves. But Caleb, we need to separate politics from our care and compassion for people. It's just too easy to get mad. It's too easy to get on Facebook and rant. Instead of just saying, you know what, if I was in Honduras and my life was endangered, my family's life was in danger, If I was in Mexico, and my safety, my family's safety was threatened by the drug cartels, I'm going to be going to Durango, Mexico this weekend, speaking at a church that we planted 10 years ago. And there's always an element of danger. Going because that's what God called me to do. But you know, when you look at the the faces of people who are afraid, no one can blame them for wanting to come somewhere else. So as Christians, Kayla, maybe we can just decide to stop watching Fox News, getting angry because our president is being attacked by the left. And just start looking at people as a neighbor that God wants us to care for. In Jesus' parable, the good Samaritan, Samaritans were hated, but it was the Samaritan who showed the love of God. The only immigration issue that we have as Christians is to be sure that we can be trusted with the people that God loves. Who is that? He loves everybody. If we are unable to be compassionate because of a political position. We have ceased to be effective in ministering to Jesus and thus won't be able to minister for Jesus. So separate your faith from your politics. I think that's the only way. 340-9585 Three four zero ninety five eighty five 9585 for your live calls and questions. Phones have been quiet. It's a hot summer day. Here is a question from a mobile app from Kirby. Uh, Pastor Ron, do you recommend Pastor Matt Chandler of the Village Church? Um, I, I wouldn't recommend him, Kirby. He's certainly a believer. Uh, he is an effective communicator. Um, good guy. I'm, I mean, I don't know him personally, but but that's his reputation. Um, but but I wouldn't recommend anybody um, listen to the teachings of a Calvinist um, unless you really know your Bible well and you're settled in who you are and what God's called you to do. Matt um, Chandler is a neo-Calvinist. Uh, he has very distorted views on election, um, a, a lack of understanding about the heart of God. And yet, away from that one issue, um, he's really effective communicator and pretty good Bible teacher. Lots of people go to his church; they're growing uh, in their faith. Um, but 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 I I couldn't recommend that somebody would go uh, and and sit under the teaching ministry of uh, of a Calvinist. By the way, unfortunately, um, the Southern Baptist Convention of which Matt Chandler was a part, I don't know if he still is, um, has elected as their president in the last uh, month um, a neo-Calvinist, J.D. Um It's just tragedy to see the, the, the church of Dr. Hadrian Rogers and Charles Stanley and Jack Graham, really wonderful men of God, being hijacked by a doctrine that is divisive and just so very, very wrong. So, um, A doctrine that so badly misrepresents the heart of our Jesus. So Kirby, that's the best I can do. I have listened to him teach. I'm very familiar with his ministry, but no, I wouldn't recommend it. Here is a question from Zach. Zach says, If someone is born gay, How can it be a sin for them? Zach, no one's born gay. Now, here's what we have to understand. We live in a fallen world. Adam and Eve were not born in anything other than perfection to fulfill God's purpose. That's a statement of purpose that God gave with the first two, that that it should be a man and a woman. They should be fruitful and multiply, and that's the way the earth is going to be uh, repopulated. Um, uh, sin entered the world, and all that changed. Now, when I say someone is born gay, it's not God's fault. God didn't do that. The sin in the world that we live in does it. Now, there's a lot of factors that would contribute to this, act, But God isn't responsible for any of them. Now, same-sex attraction is a fact of life. Somebody being born with that propensity is not. I hope that makes sense to you. Same-sex attraction is a result of the fall. It's just men and women being given over to their evil desires. Somebody, Zach, has to keep saying that sin is sin, and we who are afraid to call it sin because of what people in the world will say, we don't understand our responsibility to Jesus. So what do we tell somebody who is... um, afflicted with same-sex attraction and, and perhaps afflicted from as far back as we can remember. You know, we always have people that say, well, you know, I knew I was gay when I was three years old. That's nonsense. But what they're saying is, look, I don't remember being attracted to somebody of the opposite gender, so this is the way I've always been. So here's what we do. Zach, we tell them that that's something they have to say no to. I've had a lot of heterosexuals over my years as a pastor and counseling come to me and say but but, pastor, I'm a very sexual person, this is the way God made me, I can't just abstain from sex. I tell me yeah you can. Not only do you can you, but you have to because if you don't you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So this just isn't homosexual attraction, but the same thing can be true of heterosexuals. When we open our church doors there are people who are guilty every time we open the doors people are guilty of fornication heterosexual fornication they're in sin and somebody has to tell them well if somebody comes to me and says well i'm attracted to somebody of the same gender then i have to tell them they've got to say no to their flesh that's the flesh i have got to open galatians 5 and 1 Corinthians 6, and tell them what God's Word says about people who live like this, and by living like that, it means practice a lifestyle. There's nothing sinful. In fact, it's, it's a blessing when somebody who is uh, attracted to somebody of the same gender, when they say no because they love Jesus more than they love their sin, before more than they love their flesh. So it's a sin because God says it's a sin. Now let me go one step farther in setting this foundation for you, Zach. There's only one who ever lived a perfect life without sin. Of course, we know his name was Jesus. Jesus is the only one that gets to make the rules. He's the only one who ever lived completely by the rules. God established the rules. What he says is wrong is wrong. What he says is right is right. And we have no opportunity, none whatsoever, to change the rules. You know, when you go join a club, you know what the rules are. If you don't want to follow the rules, you don't join the club. Well, God is the one who makes the rules. And we have no right, in fact, it is arrogance to the utmost to think that because of how we feel, I can change the rules. And saying that, well, I'm born this way, this way I've always been, is simply a way of saying, I don't want to stop sinning exact whether somebody is born with heterosexual attraction or homosexual attraction. The reason they don't want to accept Jesus Christ is because they don't want to stop sinning. And this is his game. We play by his rules. Or we're on the outside looking in. It doesn't mean that somebody who is gay is evil or more wicked than we are. It just means that like every other man or woman who's ever lived God says here are the rules, we play by them we say yes or no and we live with the consequences I know it drives homosexuals crazy, I get emails from this program I get emails from the teaching that I do it drives them crazy when I say it's sin, we don't want to be called sinners, we just want to love somebody that we've fallen in love with, we want the right, we want the freedom to do that, well they've got the freedom to do it but they don't get to escape the consequences. And our job as believers is to let people know that the way they're living is sin and it's going to cause them to be separated from God for eternity and they need to make a choice. Let me make one final comment on this, act. We've had a lot of people who've come out of the homosexual lifestyle in our church over the years. And every time somebody made the conversion, leaving the old behind and living in the newness of life in Christ, every single time that there's been any sort of consistency and endurance in their walk, it's been because they've come to the conclusion that they love Jesus more than they love to sin. And the only way to be with Jesus is to walk in holiness as he defines holiness, not as the world defines holiness. I told you we've come from two weeks in California where people were living Isaiah chapter 5, drawing their sin along behind them, deceitful cords dragging their sin in the public arena, proud of their sin. well, that pride is what's going to kill him? It's not a sin to have same-sex attraction and not act on it. In fact, that's obedience. That pleases the Lord. What's wrong is when we say, well, I'm a Christian, but this is just who I am, it's what I'm going to do, and I don't care what anybody says. That's an eternal decision that's being made. So, Zach, I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Harold. Uh, Pastor Ron, does Isaiah 53.5 promise healing in the atonement? Harold, it does not. Not physical healing. I'm sure that's what you're referring to. That's what the faith teachers would have you believe. If you just believe it enough, God has to heal you because by his stripes we are healed. But if you look at Matthew's gospel, if you look at what Peter says in his epistles that the disease that Jesus' atonement healed us of is the disease of sin not cancer, not any other forms of illness the disease that is 100% fatal for eternity that's sin and all we have to do is be good students read our Bibles By his stripes, his wounds, we are healed. What did his wounds take care of? The punishment for our sins. It's very important that we understand that because if we don't, we're going to get lost. Obviously, Harold, we can look around and we see a whole lot of Christians who are afflicted right now in our church. I have a prayer list of people that's getting longer and longer. That's one of the things that happens when you hang around a church for a long time. You get old with the people that you love. These are people that love Jesus with all of their heart. Yesterday I was praying before church. Lord, it's been two weeks. I haven't been away. I haven't been here. to. to I've been praying for the people. But, uh, and I gave them a list of names of people that I really wanted to see. And all but one on the list were there. And these are people that I know love God with all of their heart. Paula, she was on stage doing worship and I was. she pointed somebody out Oh, she's here in church uh, our, our dear Raina who has been um, suffering so horribly but at the same time doing it with such grace and with such faith I was able to go look at this beautiful young woman with no hair left on her head and a surgical mask over her face just to protect her immune system And this is a girl who loves Jesus with all of her heart. So no, healing is not promised in the atonement. It's not even provided for. It's a completely different context. I hope that makes sense. And by the way, before I I got a phone call, before I go to you, Ray, on the line, let me say this. I want to thank everybody for their prayers for Kamal. Um, Kamal is our, um, our three-year-old from Uganda uh, who's come to to have uh, heart surgery um, as part of the Samaritan's Purse Children's Heart Project. Uh, they are staying, her and her mother and her trans are staying with the family in our church. Uh, Kamal has been amazing her recovery. Uh, she was in church yesterday, her surgery last week. She's out playing with other kids. She went to Children's Church yesterday here at Calvert Chapel. I got to talk to Mom and to the interpreter briefly. And she's just doing great. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your prayers. We'll keep doing that. Let's go to Ray, and if I've got time, we'll go to George. We've got five minutes left. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
2: Hi, Pastor Ron. Welcome back. Glad to have you back.
3: Thank you, Ray. Um,
2: I, I just wanted to testify, um, and, and I'm not the only one I know, uh, that God does answer prayers because my prayer was, uh, one of them, <laughs> was that you and Paula would uh, have a, you know, a, a nice vacation, take your time out there, but hurry <laughs> back and come <laughs> back safe. And yes, it is. <laughs> so, uh, Thank you, Ray. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The, the phones were pretty quiet, and I thought, well, I've just about run out of time, and I don't, I don't remember exactly what the whole point was, uh, so I'll get off so you can pick up your other call.
3: Thank you, Ray. I appreciate your prayers very, very much. God bless you. Let's go then to line two and talk with George from San Antonio. George, thanks for calling. You're on the air.
1: Yes, hello, Pastor Ryan. Good to talk to you. Hi, um, George. I'm just across, just, uh, just, not, just recently, here. I ran across online looking at that book uh, by, I think his name is Bill Weiss, 23 Minutes in Hell. Uh, what I'm wondering is, I know sometimes these, we see these books that have fantastic claims and they don't seem biblical, but what, can't, what really baffles me is how could this person be brave enough to lie about something like that, or could it be a big hallucination, or could it just be, I mean, could they really be just, just doing that for the money of it, and it's really not true? You know, I'm just really baffled <laughs> how they could come up with something like that.
3: Yeah. Uh, George, I can answer that pretty easily. Um, same reason that Satan fell from... From grace in heaven, he wanted to be God. He didn't want to be under anybody's control. We all have egos, we have ambition, Uh, we want our stories to be others. Sometimes they could be deceived. When Paul and I were in uh, California, we were actually watching a movie, and I said, Paul, what does that say? And it was, the, the TV was really small where we were staying. And she said, "Is heaven or heaven is for real?" And I said, "Oh, is that that story about that boy who went to heaven they 're still showing that movie after the 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 um, uh, key players in the movie have already admitted that the book and the movie were false so George, the motive is money. the motive is wanting to get attention. Who knows what the motive is but here 's what we can do as Christians who know our Bibles as Christians who love our Lord." Um, we shouldn't be reading that stuff. Just stay away from it. Be wise about which that which is good, we're told in Romans, but simple or naive about that which is evil. And these books, and I've talked to some of the people, uh, one, one man who actually wrote a book about uh, his 90 minutes in heaven. Um, uh, these are just stories that are made up. They're deceptions of the devil. Again, I can't judge motive or heart, but here's what we can say clearly that the books are false they are not true and as a result of that uh george we we just shouldn't spend any time or any money at all with them uh when i first got saved it was hard for me to believe that there were uh, before i i had any discernment uh, that there were people who were lying you know i would i would hear a teacher tell me god wants me to be rich and I'd say yes thank you jesus i want to be rich too um And then I really had to wrestle with, he's a Christian, how could he lie? He's on TV, how could he lie? Well, whatever their motives are, they're going to have to stand before God and deal with those motives. And what we need to do, George, is protect our walk with the Lord, keep our hearts and minds undivided, uncluttered by all of that junk that's not true. We all want to feel good. We all want to get goosebumps, but these stories simply aren't true. And what we need to do is avoid them. Spend the time that you've spent in the book or time in a movie. Spend the time in your Bible, and you will be blessed. George, thanks. It's good to hear from you. We pray that you are doing well. Hey, thanks for having me back. It's been good to be back on the radio program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630. The Word. We will see you then. Bye-bye.